0: And in all that time, I paid really close attention to some classes, and I didn't pay much attention to other classes. I set in, I passed, I got them, I got the degree. However, this stuff was unimportant to me. This was how to run the organization of the church. This is about the spirituality, and this is about reframing the narrative, and this stuff I paid a lot of attention to. This stuff I didn't pay much attention to, but it got in there. And one of the things that is in there that I've just been carrying around that I didn't pay much attention to is what happens to the organization of church as you go through the different stages of growth. And uh, so that's just kind of in there, and I know what happens, and I've kind of been taking care of that. But here's what happens when a church is small. When a church is small, there's a lot of relationship building that happens organically. It just kind of happens without trying. But then when you hit a certain stage, somewhere around 100 to 120, which we've surpassed some time ago, and you move into being a mid-sized church, it becomes very difficult to take care of the relational dynamics that took place uh, so uh, easily under 100 and do it for everyone that's engaged because you need organizational systems. Now because, and how many people think the term organized religion is a positive thing? (laughs) great none of us (laughs) so the idea of getting organized has a little bit of i don't like that plus i'm just not really wired for that kind of stuff to be honest I, i do that kind of work and i get one quarter of the results and i put in four times the effort it's just not something i'm engaged with however for us to begin to integrate into our community the kind of vitality and life that we experienced organically when we were smaller, we now have to create systems. And so we have to create systems for administration. We have to create systems for forming groups. We have to create systems for moving people forward in spirituality so that when someone walks in the door, there's a clearly articulated path to involvement. They know how to do that, which we haven't had in the past and we are developing now in this time in our church's life. So today is going to be a little different. We're going to take a break from our lesson on the virtue of charity, and we're going to think about some of the ways that this is going to shape uh, up in our church in the next months and as we go into the new year. And you're going to hear from two people who are going to talk to you about some very specific ways in which we can be involved in the four practices. So you're going to hear from Robin, and she is going to talk to you about Growth Edge Groups, And you're going to hear from Scott. Scott's over right now talking to the children. And uh, so you're going to hear him talk about ways that you can be involved as well. So Robin's going to talk to you about the communality of these growth edge groups, how it is a communal dimension. And she's going to talk about how we use the Enneagram as a roadmap to help us in the process of awakening within our own souls. And it's going to be talking about the depth of spirituality that happens while we're in community. You will find as you get engaged with the Enneagram that it's very difficult to do the Enneagram without also doing the contemplative. So you'll be hearing her talking about ways that will frame out both communal practices and contemplative practices. And for those of you who have been engaged in the Enneagram and learning that as a roadmap for looking within yourself, you're going to realize there's also a great deal of learning that goes on in this as we begin to learn both the primal need of our types but also what kind of reactionary response we tend to have when that primal need is not met and it's a series of questions that when we ask them of ourselves it invites us into a depth of self-awareness and so you're going to hear about that and then you're going to be invited to be a part of a group and when you're invited to be part of a group I'm going to encourage you to get engaged with that, get involved in that and make that part of your life. You're also going to hear her say, but whoa, 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 not too fast because it's going to be a relatively high commitment. And uh, so then you're going to hear that and you're going to weigh that and wonder if this is the time and if this is what you want to be engaged in. Then you're going to hear Scott talk and he's bringing um, the Dixons in and they're going to talk together as well about what happened when they were in Haiti. And what are the things that we're as a community going to get involved in as we move into January and as we move into the new year? They're going to explain some of what happened in their experience at Ferrier Village and what are the things that are going forward. So, as you're doing, as you're listening to both of these things today, I would encourage you to keep this in mind and thinking about this is what makes a soul healthy, this is what invites us into transformative growth. It's engaging in these kinds of practices. You don't have to wait for the church to organize systems to invite you into that, but it's helpful. It's helpful if you have a track to run on that has been kind of laid out, and that's what we're working together as a community to do for one another, is create tracks to run on. So Robin, if you would come on up. Can you use the handheld? Does that work for you today?
1: All right, so I'm going to be talking about the growth edge groups this morning, and this was going to be tagged onto the Enneagram weekend that I did last weekend on Friday and Saturday. And we switched it, and then when we switched it to this uh, Sunday, what happens is is since I'm doing it with another person, I shortened it a great deal. So this is just going to be a shortened version, and, um, which is very nice. Now, we have visitors here, visitors that have never heard of the Enneagram So I'm going to tell you very, very fast what it is, the best that I can. Um, Oh, you have it up. Oh, you're so smart. (laughs) Look at you. Um, This is uh, the symbol of the Enneagram, and we're finding out that it is quite uh, rich in what it has to offer, that not only does it offer us all kinds of psychological benefits, but it uh, offers us a map on uh, spirituality as well. And so we are doing this as a community. And this happens to be the symbol of the Enneagram. And uh, it is three geometric shapes, the uh, equilateral triangle, and then there's uh, the circle, and then there's another geometric shape. It's called a hexad, H-E-X-A-D. It's a six-pointed configuration. And so it is a system of movement as well as um, telling us what our motivations are. So they have divided um, people up or whether they have observed people and they have realized that there are actually nine different ways that people do life. There are nine different motivations that people come to life with. And so when they figure that out, then they said, oh, hmm, interesting. That means that some people need to go left to find God, and that also means that some people need to go right to find God, which means that some of you are going to be doing one thing, and the other group of you are going to be another doing the opposite now, we were never taught that before. We were taught that we all had to do the same thing and we all had to go in the same direction and that, that within we would find God. And what we're finding is that some of you need to stop giving and some of you need to start giving and all kinds of things like that. Now, don't take that literally. That's a generalization. You need to give. <laughs> Which is why I told Doug I have to read my notes because of what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, me! (laughs) Goodness gracious sakes of a living. Okay, I'm going to start off by reading a story. And I left the book back here and so you're going to watch me walk to the back of the church because that's what I do. And Don Riso, I'm going to read a story from this book. And this gentleman is a, or was, he died last year, a Jesuit priest, and he wrote the book The Wisdom of the Enneagram, okay? Huh? I do have my prop, and it's back there, and uh, thank you, thank you, this is coming up in about three pages, okay, so anyway, here's the Enneagram, I'm going to read you a story that happened to him. I finally get to read without anybody telling me not to read. I get to read, (laughs) All right. I was involved in a week long spiritual retreat in upstate New York where about 50 of us were staying in a turn of the century hotel that our teacher owned. Since the grounds and the interior of the old house perpetually needed upkeep, it was a perfect place for us to do some grueling manual labor and an occasion to observe our resistance and our reactions while we worked. The summer heat was intense, the showers few, the lines to the common bathroom long, and there were almost no rest periods. One afternoon, we were given the rare opportunity to have a 45-minute nap between chores. I had been assigned to scrape paint off the outside of the old hotel and was soon covered from head to toe with tiny, weathered chips. By the end of the work session, I was so tired and sweaty that I did not care how grubby I felt. I needed a nap. And as soon as we were dismissed from our chores, I was the first one upstairs. Just then, our one remaining roommate, targeted his way, charged his way into the room. He had been assigned to look after the children of the group members, and it was clear from the way that he was flinging things around, that he was mad that he could not get off duty earlier for a nap himself. He did, however, have time to make enough noise so that no one else could rest. But shortly after Alan came crashing through the door, something amazing happened to me. I saw my negative reaction to him rising in my body like a train pulling out of the station. And I did not get on the train. In a moment of simple clarity, I saw Alan with his anger and frustration. I saw his behavior for what it was without further elaboration. And I saw my anger loading up to let him have it and I did not react to any of it. When I simply observed my reaction of anger and self-justification rather than acting on them, it was as if a veil was suddenly pulled from my eyes and I opened up. Something that normally blocked my perception dissolved in an instant and the world became completely alive. Alan was suddenly lovable. And the other guys were perfect, too, in their reactions, whatever they were. I then fell into an inner vision, and I saw that everyone there was a being of light. I saw clearly that everyone is made of light, that we are like forms of light, but that a crust has formed over us The crust is black and rubbery like tar and obscures the inner light. And that is everyone's real inner self. So the first part that Don Riso experienced, his ability to observe his reactions and his ability to not get on the train, that is the result of a lot of Enneagram work and the result of a lot of centering prayer. And the second part, the inner vision, was the result of grace. Now, the first part is available to everyone. And the second part I can't guarantee to anyone, including myself. But if I had to choose, I would choose to have the ability and the capacity to navigate my interior world. So, that is what we are offering. We are offering you in our growth edge groups, the ability, the understanding to navigate your interior world. <laughs> these growth edge groups are going to offer you self awareness, is going to offer you centering prayer, and is going to offer you each other. We are offering these things because we think that self awareness is going to come through the knowledge of the enneagram. We think that centering prayer is going to help you by self developing self-observation, and we need each other because I need you to keep me honest. And we will be discussing what we are observing. We will be using the Enneagram as our common language. We will be encouraging you to center prayer, and again, we will be acknowledging that If you are not with me in my life, I will not be as honest as I am if you are in my life. All right. We're going to learn things like this that your mind is invested in being in charge. And that's not necessarily a good thing. We're going to learn that your mind is invested in you believing that you are your type you're going to find out that your mind is invested in you not believing that your heart and your body also have truths to tell you. We'll learn things like how does the Enneagram help develop self-awareness, where to dig, and where is the treasure hidden in your field. How much of your life do you want to spend digging in the wrong place? How much of your life do you want to not dig because you don't know where to dig? How much of your life do you want to waste digging in the wrong place? So, we have said that there are nine motivations, nine different ways to do life. And so how would the type twos ever figure out on their own that they were wired to give to get? And how would the type three ever figure out on their own that they're quite the chameleons prone to stretching the truth? And they would say, well, what's wrong with that? And how would the type fours ever figure out on their own that their drama was designed to pull you in sometimes for the kill? And how would the Type 5s ever be convinced that they were not being responsible but stingy? And we're not even going to talk about arrogance. And how would the Type six ever figure out on their own that their fears are what are driving them? And how would the Type 7s ever be convinced That being on the go actually has a downside. And who can convince the type 8s that power and control is not going to give them what they want? And how are the type 9s ever going to find out that vegging out is not a great way to live? And who is going to convince the type 1s that adhering to their own interior standards will eventually kill them? So... It's like Michelle said over the weekend, that our types are like cats that arch their backs and hiss. We are just nine different ways of arching our backs and hissing. That's just what cats do. So, after we self-identify as certain types, the Enneagram gives us a cheat sheet. It gives us a suggestion of where to look and a place to dig for your treasure. In our groups, we're going to learn that types are not just our strengths. In fact, they are the absence of our strengths. They're like casts over broken bones. We actually fortify our empty places. We actually fear our nothingness. And I am now going to, with your permission, show you a Homemade prop, all right. So this is a homemade prop, and I'm not going to burn the house down. The thought has occurred to me that that could happen. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're a sweetheart. All right, this is a model of a plane, and let's pretend it's our interior world. Let's pretend. That this plane is God, it's our essence, and it's our personality, and it's our type. So what I have up here is just simply a piece of cardboard, and this is the shape of it. It's just this, and it's just pretend the beginning point of where we are when we begin, okay? Got it? This is a symbol of God, our essence, our personality, and our type. So when we are born, we have everything we need. This represents three types. This is esteem and affection, two, threes, and fours. We have esteem and affection. And this is five, six, and sevens. This is uh, safety and security. We have safety and security. And this is power and control. These are the eight, nines, and ones. So when we are born, we have God. We have our essence. We have our personality. We have our type and we have everything we need we have power and control we have safety and security and we have esteem and affection these are the three t- centers for the Enneagram those of you who are not familiar with the enneagrams, so those are the three three sections of the Enneagram we have everything we need and then what happens is as we appropriately grow and develop okay we separate our essence separates from our God and oops, now what happens? I have power and control, I have esteem and affection, but uh, I don't have any safety and security. Where did my safety and security go? Ooh, this is scary. I am not safe, and I am not secure. Ah. Uh, I know what to do. You're going to give me safety and security. That You have it right, Dawn. What did you do with it? Where is my safety and security? I know it's out there somewhere. I chose a four, by the way. <laughs> so I go and I look for safety and security out there. And in the process, to cover up the fact that I am so scared, I build a little fortress And now the only thing you can see is, I've got power and control, I've got esteem and affection, but I've really got safety and security. That's all you can see is safety and security. Safety and security. It covers up what I lack. So this becomes my salient feature. This becomes my type. I'm a five. I'm going to build up this great fortress around my fiveness. You'll never know that I lack safety and security. And what the Enneagram tells us is not only is it a system of personality, but it tells us where to go for what we're looking for. Ah, it is in my nothingness. Ooh, how scary is that? Do I really have to go through my nothingness, my void, to find God, to find safety and security? Do I really have to go and face the dark side? I really don't want to, thank you. Dawn, I know you have it. I don't have to go to God to get it, Right? So I will spend at least the first half of my life trying to get you to give me what I am missing. And sooner or later, I'm going to find out that it doesn't work. And then I'm going to find out that everything that I am looking for is in God. It is in God. My type will never give me what I need. All right. Thank you. And that is my little prop. Okay. So those are the things that we're going to learn. And we're going to learn that our type cannot solve the problems that our type creates. Boy, are we going to try hard, though. Okay. We'll learn to be present. We're going to learn to feel our bodies. And we're going to learn to feel our emotions. We're going to learn to relax in the presence of strong emotions. We're going to learn to not resist And to fight and to not fight reality. So when Moses asked God, tell me, when I go in front of Pharaoh and he asks who sent me, what shall I say? And Moses said, tell them that I am sent you. Now there is nothing more in the present than I am. And the nice thing about your body is your body cannot go in the past and your body cannot go in the future, your sweet body has to stay in the present. And so your sweet body is the perfect vehicle for you coming into the present. And what the Enneagram teaches us is that it is in the present that you're going to find God, and it is in God that you're going to find what you lack, and what we try so hard to find out there. Okay, and in Psalm 23 it says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, really? Uh, in those days, your enemies killed you, they didn't just vote you out of office. And so, you know, what an incredible statement. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm sorry, but when I signed up for God, he was supposed to get rid of my enemies. He was not supposed to prepare little tables for me in the presence of my enemies. But I didn't get to decide how it is. And so what I am thinking is that perhaps he is suggesting that if you will relax in the presence of your enemies, that you will then commune with me. That is a possibility. All right, so we learn to identify with our essence and not our types. We'll learn that who we really are is we are hid with Christ in God. We'll learn that when we get to our essence, our God, that we do that through our weakness, um, the very void that we try so desperately to cover up. We'll learn that our work has to be intentional. If Don Riso had not been intentional about his spiritual practice, he would have never been able to not get on the train. And so it doesn't just happen because you go to church. You have to continually rearrange your life. And when I stop adjusting and when I stop rearranging my life, then I will have just hit the pause button. So, these growth edge groups are going to offer you a map, a direction. It's going to offer you a cohort. It's going to offer you continuity, longevity, a measured pace, patience, acceptance. Now, some of these groups are going to feel like work. Sometimes I want to go, and sometimes I don't. And I'm not a part of these groups so that I can work on my personality, even though that needs happening. And so that I can be acceptable, even though that's nice. And so that you can be acceptable to me, even though that's nice as well. And I'm not a part of these groups in order to get my social needs met, even though I do. And I'm not a part of these groups because they make me look good. Because sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And I'm not a part of these groups because they're a quick fix, because they're not a quick fix, because I'm not a quick fix. And I'm not a part of these groups because they're promising me the moon, because they're not promising me the moon, they're promising me discomfort. So I have been challenged in these groups, I have failed, I have been loved, I have been affirmed, and I have some great teachers My type 2 friend is teaching me how to be gentle. My type 1 friend is teaching me to not be so nonchalant. And my type 7 friend is teaching me to not take everyone and everything so seriously. Or at least she's trying to. And they're all teaching me patience, especially with myself. And they don't even know what good teachers they are. They're just being themselves. And when we step on each other's toes, we work it out. So I'm going to end with this quote by Thomas Merton. At the center of our being is a point of pure nothingness, which is untouched by sin and illusion. A point of pure truth, a spark that belongs entirely to God which is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind and the brutalities of our own will. This little point of nothingness and of absolute poverty is the pure glory of God written in us. It is like a pure diamond blazing with the invisible light of heaven. It is in everybody And if we could see it, we would see these billions of points of light coming together in the face and blaze of a sun that would make all the darkness and cruelty of life vanish completely. So Thomas Merton and Don Riso did not know each other. And as far as I know, Thomas Merton did not know the Enneagram. But They both saw the pure glory of God written in us like a pure diamond blazing with invisible light of heaven. And they both knew that that place where we are hid with Christ in God is a place at the center of our being and is a point of pure nothingness which is untouched by sin and illusion And they both knew that the way to God was through our absolute poverty, that place we spend so much time and energy avoiding. And they both knew that that place is inaccessible to the fantasies of our own mind and the brutalities of our will. So these are the things that we are going to be exploring in our Growth Edge groups. And this is what we're going to be doing for the next six months. So thank you.
2: You all know that? And so, well, yeah, on. thanks. Just,
0: just a second before you begin. Here comes the Enneagram Growth Edge groups. There you go.
2: And um, we are go on January 12th. We're going to give you a lot more detail of where we're going from here. But we wanted to just spend um, about ten minutes today and give you some information, kind of, and some pictures and and let you see... Um, what you did. We had a few objectives on the trip and um, primarily we wanted to see Help One Now's work firsthand and actually check out what they're doing. Uh, We wanted to meet the local leaders that they partner with and see if Help One Now is an organization that is a good fit for NRCC. Check out a couple different villages and see where we thought would be a good fit for us to work with as well. Help One Now, for those of you who weren't here when Chris Marlowe came to speak last summer, is an organization that's based both in Raleigh and Austin, Texas, and uh, it remains as invisible as possible on the ground in the countries where it works. works in Africa as well as in Haiti. And um, the way they do that is by developing long-term relationships with local high-capacity leaders and then support the efforts of those leaders... Um, in the work that they see that needs to be done. So this is not us going to Haiti saying, we know it all, here's some money, fix your problems, and we're here to fix your problems for you with our money, and then we leave. That has been proven to not work very well. Um, That's not a oneness approach. Help One Now uses a very different approach, which is much more similar to how we believe things should be done. and Help One Now does provide accountability to be sure that those relationships are headed in the right direction. And uh, mistakes are always made in the context of relationships, but uh, make sure that overall things stay on course. So we met some of the leaders that Help One Now works with, and Brian's going to very briefly tell you about them. Um, Brian do, do we have a pointer? Yeah, is, it, is there a pointer? I think that middle one is a pointer. All right.
3: Yeah, because this guy right here is Pastor uh, Jean-Alix. Uh, there's just four leaders we want to go over real quick. Uh, we'll give you more information on them uh, come January. But uh, as you can see, Pastor Jean-Alix has done a lot in his time. Uh, there's some highlights up here. He's a, just an amazing man. He does a lot. The kids in Ferrier Village, which is where NRCC's focus is, just love and adore him. Uh, he's very kind. Very funny, and uh, just an all-around kind of stand-up guy. Um, And that's how to dress, too. (laughs)
0: Um,
3: This is Pastor Gaetan Al-Seguer. I really had a great chance to spend a lot of time talking with him, um, just about the school and the the orphanage that he runs. Um, And to give you a little bit of background on this guy, uh, when he started the school and everything, he had an income of $600 a month, 500 of that was needed just to pay the rent on the land. So there's obviously, for the 30 was it thirty plus kids he had, there was a big gap to fill. And so uh, Help One Now has been able to assist him with that. Uh, this is Pastor Martel. There it is. And uh, he's a really funny, happy guy. He's been working uh, in Ferrier uh, at a church that Pastor Jean-Alix started. Uh, so he's now kind of the overseer of Ferrier Village. He ran a girls' home nearby, which we actually stayed at, um, and has been doing that for a while. One of the girls that grew up in his girls' home, uh, uh, Rosana, is now the director of Ferrier Village. So it's been a nice thing for her to grow up and then kind of come into taking care of these kids in, in this uh, relationship with Help One Now. Uh, in the village that they've started, so, yeah. Good times.
4: <laughs> yeah, so um, we found that we really, really like the way that Help One Now works in Haiti. We really like that they are empowering local leaders who know their people and know their needs, extremely smart people who, you know, whatever fortune they have, they just seem to want to give it all away. Um, So, uh, you know, and we like that they work long term, like we're making a commitment to this community. We're not just going in for a week. That wasn't the trip. Like we are, um, you know, making a long term commitment to help those kids through um, as long as they need it. Um, So this is what Ferrier Village looks like. It's actually a very cool, kind of unique setup for an orphanage in in the area compared to the others that we saw, in that instead of just having sort of a main building and having 30 kids being taken care of by one person, they've built five separate houses on the property. Um, the, these really cute, colorful little houses, um, and they each have a house mother living in them. So, eat, all of the kids—you have five kids in a house—and all of the kids get a lot more personal attention that way. Um, and then the the women from the community have an opportunity to help as well. Um, they partner with the local government to um, care for. Children who have been rescued from trafficking or are, are at very high risk, orphans who are at very high risk for being trafficked. Um, and since May, when it opened, um, they have rescued 26 kids. Five of them have been returned to their families, which is a really cool, uh, you know, focus that they have. And then 21 of them are still um, being cared for. And then, let's see, yeah, they have the, the houses are two-bedroom houses, so they have their own little living room and... Um, their own bathroom in each of the houses, and then they all have a communal kitchen area. Um, And in 2014, the next phases for them, they're turning kids away right now, um, and only able to take really the worst cases. So they want to build five new houses so that they can bring, you know, so that they can care for more of these kids. Um, They're building a playground and looking at uh, maybe like a, a mentorship program with some of the men in the area. So they just have a lot of Really amazing ideas for ways to make sure that these kids are, don't just have a roof over their head, but are really well cared for, which is awesome. Um, so, this is Haiti. <laughs> and we, let's see, how does the pointer work? The red button. The red button. Yeah. So, we spent some time in Port au Prince, and then we took like a tiny plane, scary plane, <laughs> up to Ferrier. <laughs> Which is right here. Scott did me a favor by letting me know that his friend had watched one of them crash on a trip to Africa right the day before we went. So that was yeah. that was really helpful. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, there's the. What you wanted a trip later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a fair amount of terror is always a good idea. So that was the the plane, um, and then Ferrier Village is the home for the kids, which is inside the community of Ferrier. Um, so it's a very small, they have a school and a church there. The school is actually in Ferrier Village. That's what it looks like. Um, and this is kind of, this is just a street in Ferrier. So it's, a, you know, dirt roads, mud, huts, like very small, poor area of Haiti. Um, there's a picture of the pavilion where they all get together and eat, and we got to eat some meals with them. Um, spend some time with them. This is a living room in one of the houses. It's just really nice for the bedroom bathroom, just you know, just really cute little homes that they live in. Um, we really enjoyed spending time with the kids. They you know, are just very fun, energetic as you would imagine children. <laughs> um, so we helped them draw some pictures for their sponsors. So some of you may have gotten a, a handprint. Um, In the mail already, I don't know of them. um, They really enjoyed the coloring. I brought stick-on earrings. They loved that. Even the boys (laughs) were going crazy for that. Um, This is Moses, uh, who is a member of our congregation, sponsors him. And he was named because he was found in a basket by the river. So they took him in and named him Moses. Um, This is Sotolene. That's the girl that Brian and I sponsor. So that was a really neat experience getting to know her. And um, love G, is, the, the, is that the Carter's? Yeah, yeah that, that was your kid, and he was adorable. So we just had a great time um, spending time with them.
2: So we're looking at um, ways, and, and this will be kind of solidified and, and put together by January, but some ways that we can get involved in 2014, not 2013, as the slide says, my bad, sorry. Um, but they want to build, as Jen mentioned, uh, five to six new houses within Ferry Village. Um, a house costs ten thousand dollars. Do you guys think we can do that? I think we could do that ten thousand dollars that's not a lot of money over a year um, and that will uh, that will provide that will enable them to bring five more kids. why don't we do two houses? We could do two houses oh, five. yeah um, <laughs> the, the there are some ways, uh, um, you know, I said in the, in the first service, um, right now we don't have $10,000 extra sitting around, but that has never stopped me before. So, um, there are some ways we can get $10,000. One of the things that Help One Now does regularly is called garage sale for orphans. Ferrier Village was built primarily on garage sale money. Um, all the original money to, to put it together, most of that, uh, not the land, the land. The land actually was donated by Pastor John Leakes. He's a businessman, and he is a giver. And so he's he's doing a lot of this stuff and just can't quite do it all himself, so we're coming behind and helping him. But the actual building of the houses was done by garage sales, so the junk you have in your attic and basement and garage um, could be put to good use. Haiti dinners, we've already done one of those successfully. We can ramp that up again. Ready to cook, Brian? (laughs) Um, Donations, we want some creativity So be thinking of ways that we can raise some money for this Um, Of course uh, more sponsors as they bring in more kids They're going to need more sponsors And I would like to see us really as a church Really get behind sponsoring kids Especially having been there Um, That's something that for a a pretty little We were just talking to the teens And suggested that they um, commit to get together and you know four or five kids together earn 40 bucks a month to sponsor a kid. Um, I started sponsoring um, orphans through World Vision when I was 17, and I think it had a major formative impact on my life. It, it seems like a really small thing, but that awareness that that created was, was big. So I think that's good for our kids and it's certainly good for us. Um, in the school itself, uh, the the school has kids not just from the village that are orphans, but there's about 200 kids from all of Ferrier that go to the school. Uh, but the teachers have no real formal training, and that's common in Haiti. So we have some teachers here at NRCC that are particularly exemplary, and that's an area where um, – I'd love to see us have our teachers get together and uh, train teachers in Ferrier so that the kids that are growing up get a really good education. There are some ideas that we have around sustainable agriculture. Uh, I've say, I said on the way back, if I ever meet somebody who doesn't believe that taking care of the environment is important, I want to take them to Haiti because they didn't take care of the environment, and a lot of that was America trashed their environment. Um, it's 98% deforested, and when it rains, you can see all the topsoil is has washed into the ocean. So it's amazing that anything grows there. But um, there's some they need some help with that. Uh, and then there will be some opportunities for microloans, loans of 500 to a thousand dollars, of about one year in term, to families to buy stuff to do sustainable agriculture projects to buy goats or chickens so that uh, they pay that money back within usually one to two years and then uh, they're sustainable after that. They, they can support themselves. Um, we'll have future trips. We don't have a specific one planned now, but we will plan some more as there are things to do or as some of you want to go and see what we're doing there and other possibilities that we don't know of yet. So January 12th, plan to be here. That's going to be a really important day in the life of NRCC. Um, As we start 2014, we're going to have a speaker from Help One Now come. And before then, we'll be developing uh, more specifics of this plan with the core team. Uh, But between now and then, be thinking about how you can help. Can you sponsor? Um, Do you want to be part of a fundraising team to raise that $10,000 or $20,000, Doug, to build a house? Um, we're getting our kids involved. Uh, we just talked to the elementary and the teens, and uh, they're really excited about ways that they can form a connection as well. I want to close by, um, I'll give you some time for questions if we have time. We're,
0: We're out. out of time. We're
2: out of time. So, um, but I want to close by thanking <clears throat> you because you all gave um, about $4,000 and Um, we would not have all been able to go were it not for that and we needed all of us there all the different perspectives that we have in hindsight it was really important for us all to be there so thank you and for those of you who are sponsoring kids at Ferrier um, we can tell you for sure that money has gone to good use those kids are are growing and healthy and uh, you can see good signs